Chapter Eight of the Cruise of the Esmeralda. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Cruise of the Esmeralda by Harry Collingwood. Chapter Eight. The Chief Mate has a presentiment. Nothing further of importance occurred during our passage across the Indian Ocean, which was accomplished under exceptionally pleasant circumstances, the weather being gloriously fine, and the wind, if not absolutely fair, always favorable enough to permit of our laying our course. Java Head was made just before sunset under a clear sky, with a light air breathing out from the northwest, so light an air indeed that when the sun rose next morning the headland was still on our starboard bow some two hours later however we got a strong breeze out from the northeast under the influence of which we worked up toward the mouth of the straits in fine style until noon by which time we were fairly within the straits when the wind softened down finally dwindling away to nothing about an hour before sunset we had sighted several sail during the day, three of them being European, bound to the westward, while the rest were country craft, small coasters and fishing vessels for the most part. The Malays have probably, next to the Chinese, the worst reputation in the world for honesty, but it is only just to say that with one solitary exception, all the native craft we had that day fallen in with had behaved in a manner that left no room whatsoever for suspicion. The exception was in the case of a large proa that had passed us closely, running out before the wind toward the mouth of the straits during the forenoon, but which, having run to leeward of us for a distance of some six miles, had then hauled her wind and stretched in towards the southern shore, on reaching which she had lowered her canvas, thrown out her sweeps, and made her way to windward with the aid of the latter alone it was not so much this circumstance however though it had a somewhat incomprehensible look about it as the fact that she pulled twelve sweeps of a side proving her to be heavily manned and that caused us to regard her and her movements with a certain amount of doubt and suspicion we were now in waters that from the numerous acts of piracy that have been committed within them have acquired a more sinister reputation than is borne by any other spot of the ocean of similar area in the whole world and it was therefore only natural that the fact of our being becalmed in such a spot should have been productive of a certain uneasiness and disquiet of mind throughout the ship at sunset and for an hour or two afterwards there was every prospect of a fine clear night but at about two bells in the first watch a thin veil of vapor began to gather in the sky gradually thickening and blotting out the stars until they were all completely hidden when the darkness became profound at this time or rather when we had at last had an opportunity of distinguishing distant objects there were only some eight or ten craft all native in sight the nearest of which was fully four miles distant and they all without exception presented an appearance of perfect honesty three or four of them were like ourselves drifting idly with their heads pointing in as many different directions the others had rigged out a sweep or in some cases a pair and were slowly making their way inshore 
the baronet and i were reclining in contiguous chairs placidly smoking our postprandial cigars the ladies were below miss merivale being seated at the piano accompanying her sister who having by this time quite recovered her health and spirits was singing some quaint old-fashioned ballad in a full rich contralto voice that could be distinctly heard from one end of the ship to the other and probably far beyond as for the chief mate he was pacing the deck thoughtfully and steadily to and fro with an energy that taking the heat and closeness of the night into consideration seemed to bespeak an uneasy mind after a while he halted alongside the binnacle gazed abstractedly into it for about half a minute then turning to the nodding helmsman inquired whether he knew where he was running the ship to she hasn't had steerage way on her since i came aft at eight bells sir was the reply she hasn't eh remarked roberts well if that's the case the compass isn't of much use to you is it so pulling off his jacket as it's hardly worth while to proclaim our exact whereabouts to everybody we'll just mask the light until a breeze springs up saying which he laid his jacket very carefully over the hood of the binnacle completely obscuring the not very brilliant light that shone therefrom what is robert's idea in hiding the binnacle light in that fashion asked sir edgar turning to me as the mate again walked forward pausing for some minutes near the head of the short poop ladder and apparently peering anxiously round him into the obscurity well said i i think he perhaps feels a little uneasy at our being becalmed just here and in such an intensely dark night too the malays have the name of being born pirates you know and should they happen to take it into their heads to attack us just now it would be rather awkward since we could do absolutely nothing to avoid them while this calm lasts do you think there is any danger of such an occurrence captain he asked with manifest anxiety not very much i replied there were no suspicious craft visible at nightfall still an attack is by no means an impossibility especially on such a dark night the circumstances are precisely those which i imagine would be deemed highly favorable by people piratically inclined then why in heaven's name my good sir do you not make preparations for such an eventuality exclaimed my companion excitedly for the simple reason i replied that all the preparation possible could be made in five minutes as a matter of fact i was only waiting until you had all retired when i intended at once making them two slashes of a sharp knife would suffice to release those boarding pipes from the boom and you can easily calculate for yourself the length of time it would take to serve out a brace of revolvers and a cutlass to each of our small crew hm, ejaculated the baronet and have you no rifles on board i have one said i but of what use would it be on such a dark night as this true too true muttered sir edgar nevertheless i think i will go down and put my winchester together upon the off chance of work being found for it confound this calm say i if it were not for the fact of my wife and bairns being on board there's nothing i should enjoy more than a brush with the rascals for my feeling is that pirates deserve no mercy but as it is an expressive shrug eloquently concluded the sentence and the baronet at once rose and went below a minute or two later the piano became silent and i heard the sound of the instrument being closed as sir edgar remarked laughingly thank you emily if you go on at this rate you'll soon recover your old form 
I thought just now as I sat on deck listening to your singing that your voice had never sounded sweeter But as your chief medical adviser, I really must forbid your using it any more tonight We must progress gradually, you know and not overtax nature at the outset is not that the correct professional jargon joking apart however i think you've done enough for tonight and ah uh, there goes four bells ten o'clock take my advice turn in both of you and get a good long night's rest i think i will replied lady emily this hot weather makes me feel very languid and tired and you edgar what are you going to do you will not remain on deck very late will you well hesitated sir edgar that depends on circumstances i shall not turn in until i feel there's some chance of getting to sleep and if this calm continues i think i shall just sleep on deck it is too insufferably hot altogether for one down here just at present leave the ports open in your cabins both of you so that if there is any air stirring you'll get the benefit of it and now i think i will say good night to you both good night sweetheart and pleasant dreams good night agnes I heard the click of the latches of the cabin doors as the two ladies retired and presently sir edgar came on deck again with a fresh cigar in his mouth and seated himself once more beside me remarking there i've packed my womenkind off to bed and i've laid my rifle with a good supply of cartridges in my own bunk an act which has somewhat relieved my mind so now captain as the coast is clear down below there's nothing to prevent your making your preparations as soon as you please very good said i then i will set about them at once and by the way of a start i think we will blind the skylight as i fully agree with roberts that there is no especial advantage in revealing our whereabouts to anybody tonight nothing but a steamer could run us down in this weather and should there happen to be one coming along we should see her lights in ample time to give a warning of our position the mate was still promenading to and fro between the break of the poop and the binnacle so when he next passed i requested him to have the canvas covers put over the skylights also to direct the steward to turn down the lamps in the saloon and my own cabin and to carefully draw the curtains before all the side lights so that no treacherous ray might gleam forth from the ship's side and betray our locality this was soon done and the noiseless movements of the mate as he went forward and gave the necessary orders in a whisper instead of issuing them in stentorian tones from the break of the poop sufficiently indicated his conviction of the existence of a lurking peril in our immediate vicinity the one thing that we had to fear above all others and to guard against in the event of an attack was the presence of the pirates on our own decks should they succeed in boarding us it would certainly be in such overwhelming numbers as to render an effective resistance impossible our small party would be quickly overpowered and then the fate of everybody on board would be sealed our safety depended upon our keeping the foe at arm's length half a dozen fathoms of water would suffice but the problem was how to accomplish this very desirable end i had been giving a good deal of thought to this even while chatting disconnectedly with sir edgar in the earlier part of the evening and had at length hit upon a plan that i thought might be successful we had on board a small fire engine mounted on wheels with a hose and jet attached and a tank capable of containing some fifty gallons 
This engine I now ordered to be uncovered and prepared for action by securely lashing a small loose mop head of oakum round the nozzle of the hose, taking especial care that the aperture of the jet should be left perfectly free. Roberts, who seemed at once to divine and understand my plan, even before I had explained it to him, undertook this part of the work in person, and in about ten minutes he reported that all was ready and invited me to inspect his workmanship. It was by this time five bells, and the night was, without exception, the darkest, I think, that I had ever experienced. So dark indeed was it, that well as we knew the ship, we had to feel our way along the deck with hands and feet, for it was absolutely impossible to see anything a foot beyond the end of one's nose. With such intense darkness as this, it was evident that the heavens must be obscured by exceptionally heavy masses of cloud, which, with a hot, breathless condition of the atmosphere, led me to anticipate and hope for a thunderstorm which would at least afford us sufficient light to inspect our surroundings, and so put an end to a state of suspense that was growing wearisome. And not only was the night intensely dark, it was also oppressively silent, for the water being perfectly smooth, there was no life or motion in the ship to give rise to those sounds, such as the flapping of canvas, the creaking of timbers and bulkheads, etc., etc., that usually make a calm so irritating to people who happen to be troubled with nerves. All was silent as death itself, our own movements being hushed in harmony with the prevailing stillness, so that we spoke under our breath and moved about on tiptoe. In this silent groping way I followed Roberts forward to inspect the fire engine, and it was while thus engaged with the aid of a carefully shielded lantern that the mate exclaimed in a hoarse whisper as he held up his hand and bent his head in a listening attitude. Hark! Did you hear that, sir? No, said I, I heard nothing. What was it? Why, answered Roberts, it sounded to me like the noise of an oar, or a sweep, creaking in a rowlock, and it seemed to come from away yonder, pointing as he spoke in the direction of the larboard bow. We both listened intently for fully a minute, without detecting any sound, whatever, confirmatory of Robert's evident suspicions, and at length I said, turning once more to the examination of the fire-engine, "'Tush, man, you are mistaken. You heard nothing. The fact is, Mr. Roberts, you're not quite yourself to-night. You seem nervous and fidgety and anxious. The heat of to-day has upset you, and I think you had better let me give you a good stiff dose of quinine when you go below at eight bells. Thank you, sir, no, answered Roberts. I don't need any quinine or anything else in the shape of medicine to brace me up. There's nothing the matter with me bodily, but to be perfectly candid, I do feel a little bit off my mental balance, as it were, to-night. The fact is, I know you'll laugh at me, sir, but I can't help that, and it don't matter, but I've got the feeling strong upon me that something's going to happen to me to-night. For three nights running, that is to say, last night and the night before, and the night before that again. I've started up out of a sound sleep with the idea that my dear wife was calling me, I, and with the very sound and tone of her sweet voice in my ears. Now, sir, do you think that is only a coincidence, as they say ashore, or isn't it more likely to be a sign that something is going to happen to me? Why, what nonsense is this for a sensible educated man like yourself to be talking? 
I exclaimed half angrily. Let me feel your pulse. He held out his hand to me, and I laid my fingers upon his wrist. Contrary to what I had expected, I found the skin to be cool and moist, and the pulse beneath it beating with the steadiness and regularity of a machine. Hm. It doesn't seem to be very much wrong there, I admitted. But I didn't know you were a married man, Roberts. I understood you once to say that you were quite alone in the world, not a soul belonging to you. Quite right, sir. That's the exact truth, returned the mate. But I had a wife once, sir, as sweet, true, and tender-hearted a little woman as you ever met. I'll be bound, and pretty sure she was, too, my little Nellie. I only had her six months, sir. We were spliced early in the spring, and I stayed ashore and spent the whole summer and well into the autumn with her. Six months. Six blessed, happy, joyous months with the sweetest woman that ever lived. We were all by ourselves, excepting for one servant maid, in a pretty little house on the outskirts of Tynemouth. Ah, that was a time for a man to look back upon for the rest of his life. Then by and by, when the autumn days began to grow short, the cash began to grow short, too, and I had to go to sea again to earn more. I'm not a particularly soft-hearted man as a rule, Captain St. Ledger, but I tell you, sir, that that parting from Nelly was just as much as I could stand up against, to be obliged to untwine her loving, clinging arms from about my neck, and to deliberately turn away and leave her standing there by the gate, crying her dear eyes out, was cruel work, sir. It was like tearing my very heart-strings asunder, but it had to be done. Of course, when we arrived at Durban, for it was while I was in the natal trade, in this same little bark, there were a couple of letters waiting for me that had passed us on the road out, and every mail that arrived while we were lying in the harbour brought me another, each more cheerful than the last, because the time was passing away and bringing our reunion nearer. And when at last I got home again, sir, all that they had to show me was my darling's new-made grave. She had taken typhoid fever, died, and was carried out of the house in her coffin at the moment that the telegram announcing my arrival in England was handed in. Something very like a sob seemed to rise in Robert's throat and choke him at this point in the story. But before I had time to frame and arrange the words of sympathy that struggled to my lips, for I am not a quick man with my tongue, he resumed. I hope, Captain St. Ledger, that if my manner has seemed to you a little curious tonight, you will not put it down to timorousness or faint-heartedness or anything of that sort. I do feel very queer, I admit. Not ill, you understand, but strange. A kind of, well, it's more than a presentiment. I might say it's an absolute certainty that I'm going to die tonight, coupled with another absolute certainty that those treacherous fiends of Malays are gathering round us out there in the darkness. But if my presentiment should prove true and comes to a fight, have no fears on my account. I'll not fail you, sir, in the moment of need and danger. Danger has long ceased to be an enemy of mine, and death lost all his terrors for me when I stood for the first time beside my Nellie's grave. I am quite ready to die whenever it may please the Almighty to call me, and if I can do so in defense of those dear, helpless women and children down below, it will suit me well enough. Thank you, Roberts. Thank you, my friend, said I, grasping the hand he held out to me. 
yours is a very sad pathetic story and you have my hearty sympathy as to doubting your courage my good fellow no such thought ever entered my head but i am certain despite all you say to the contrary that you're not quite yourself tonight therefore if you will not take any medicine at least go below and try to get a little sleep that perhaps will do you as much good as anything i will keep the remainder of your watch for you and should anything occur to confirm your suspicions as to the malays you may reckon on my calling you in good time the man was however obstinate or at least so it seemed to me to be resolutely declining to accede to either of my suggestions so leaving him to complete the few remaining preparations i deemed necessary to meet an attack should anything of the sort be attempted i returned aft to the poop somewhat vexed that so thoroughly sensible a man as roberts had hitherto proved should suffer himself to be so completely mastered as i had seen him to be by a morbid feeling of melancholy that was doubtless due in part to overmuch dwelling of late upon the death of his wife but which i firmly believed was to be still more directly traced to some slight derangement of the system that could easily be put right by the administration of a dose of medicine could the fellow be induced to take it no doubt too the fact of our being becalmed and therefore to a great extent helpless in a spot notoriously haunted by a people every mother's son of whom was but too ready to participate in any act of piracy that seemed to offer a reasonable prospect of success had a large influence in producing the presentiment of death in the mate's mind but that i felt sure would pass away with the impenetrable and oppressive darkness by which we were enveloped or with the advent of a breeze of wind while therefore i sincerely pitied the poor fellow for his disagreeable state of mind i thought that perhaps it would be wisest to treat it as a matter of no importance and to leave him to himself until the fit of depression should have passed away on grouping my way back to the chair i had previously occupied i found that sir edgar was still occupying the chair beside my own meditatively pulling away at a cigar the glowing spark of which would probably have still further increased robert's perturbation had he seen it as i seated myself beside him the baronet made a half jesting inquiry as to whether our preparations had had the effect of reassuring the mate so to while away the time and for want of something more interesting to talk about i told him robert's story and also described to him the peculiar state of mind under which the poor fellow was laboring sir edgar fully agreed with me that the latter was simply the result of some slight and probably temporary derangement and was proceeding to discuss the subject of presentiments in general and the extreme rarity of really well authenticated cases of verification when the atmosphere became for an instant faintly luminous with the evanescent quivering glimmer of the silent summer lightning the flash trembled but for a moment in the sky and was gone again but in that moment i saw that the firmament was packed with vast masses of dense heavy threatening highly charged electric cloud the weird contorted shapes of which clearly indicated that they were being powerfully acted upon by the mighty antagonistic forces that they carried within their bosoms and gave unmistakable warning that an elemental strife was impending for which it would be well to prepare beneath this lowering canopy the surface of the water shone with the unwrinkled smoothness of polished glass faithfully reflecting every detail even to the most minute of form and color exhibited by the writhing cloud shapes that overhung it 
and also faithfully reflecting the shapes of four large proas that in a somewhat scattered fleet were revealed at a distance of some three miles to the northward and eastward of the spot occupied by ourselves the bark happened at the moment to be lying with her head pointing about southeast these proas were therefore broad upon our larboard beam and they were the first objects that met my sight some if not all of these craft were working their sweeps for with a momentary quiver of the lightning i had caught the glint of reflected light from wet oar blades projecting from the dark shadowy mass of the hull and they were all heading up or down the straits i could not tell which in the unexpected glimpse i caught of them for they all showed end on or nearly so to us meanwhile roberts had completed his task and was in the act of mounting to the poop for i caught sight of his figure out of the corner of my eye when the flash came as the opaque darkness once more enveloped us i heard his voice exclaiming sharply and as it seemed to me with a note of exultation in it as though proud at the prospect of at least one half of his presentiment being verified did you see that sir i rose from my chair and joined him so that our voices might not disturb the sleepers below in the saloon near the open skylight of which i had been seated you mean the proas i suppose said i yes i saw them but there are only four of them thank goodness and we're not sure they're not heading up the straits instead of towards us if so it was no doubt from one of them that the sound emanated that startled you a little while ago as they must have passed us at no great distance four of them exclaimed roberts i only saw three and two of them were heading the same way as ourselves they were all close together not more than at this moment the tremulous greenish glare of the sheet lightning once more lit up the scene this time much more strongly than on the first occasion and in the midst of the quivering radiance there was a single sudden vivid gleam like the instantaneous flash of a gigantic lantern behind the dense masses of cloud lying piled along the western horizon the light being so brilliant as to be quite dazzling after the cimmerian darkness to which our eyes had become accustomed but despite the dazzling brilliancy of the sudden illumination the retina of my eyes caught and retained the vision of three large proas broad on our starboard quarter about two miles distant situated precisely as roberts had described them and that this vision was no illusion of my senses was instantly demonstrated by the mate who interrupted himself to quickly exclaim there they are again sir yes i saw them said i and there are four more about three miles up the straits on our port beam that makes seven craft in our neighborhood that was certainly not there when the darkness closed down upon us now in order to get where they are they must have been using their sweeps which i must confess has to my mind rather a bad look as from what i've heard of the malays they're not so fond of hard work as to resort to it for mere pastime however we shall soon know what they're after if they're looking for us that last flash has most probably enabled them to discover our whereabouts and if they mean mischief they will all be heading for us when next we see them meanwhile mr roberts it's evident that we're about to be treated to a heavy thunderstorm and as it may bring a violent wind squall with it we'll make provisions for the possibility by stowing all our light canvas ah as another and still brighter flash burst forth followed this time by the low muttering of distant thunder there they come the rascals are certainly after us call all hands at once if you please mr roberts 
There will be time to shorten sail and to prepare a reception for the Malays before they can get alongside. All hands shorten sail, shouted the mate, scrambling off the poop and groping his way forward. Clue up and furl the royals and togantles, and see that you stow them in such a way that they won't blow adrift if a squall happens to strike us. Let go the main royal and togallant and the mizzen topmast stay sails halyards and man the downhauls then you can stow the sails as you work your way down is that you mr forbes just see that the main and fore topsails halyards are all clear for letting run will you and when you lads come on deck we'll haul down and stow the flying jib and get in the gaff topsail and mizzen that's your sort my bullies now away loft then stow everything as quickly as you can the men, fearful that the anticipated squall might burst upon the ship before we were prepared for it, worked with a will, their efforts being greatly facilitated by the lightning that was now quivering and flashing all round the horizon with momentarily increasing splendor, and at such brief intervals that the illumination might almost be said to be continuous, while the deep, hollow rumble of the thunder might very well have been mistaken for the booming of a distant cannonade the effect of the incessant flicker of the lightning was very weird the tremulous greenish-blue glare illuminating the ponderous masses and contorted shapes of the black clouds overhead the surface of the ink-black sea around us the distant proas and the hull spars sails and rigging of the bark with the moving figures aloft and at the jib-boom end and suffusing everything with so baleful and unearthly a light that only the slightest effort of the imagination was needed to fancy ourselves a phantom ship manned by ghosts of the unquiet dead floating upon the sooty flood of the sticks with the adamantine foundations of the world arching ponderously and menacingly over our heads and reflecting from their rugged surfaces the flashing of the flames of phlegathon End of chapter 8